From WBHM News, I'm Andrew Yeager. Birmingham is well known for its civil rights history. Less recognized is how the labor movement often intersects with civil rights. Reporter Olivia McMurray takes a look at how those two movements have played off each other both then and now. You've likely heard this before. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. That's Martin Luther King Jr. at the 1963 March on Washington. But you probably haven't heard this speech from the same event. And the job question is crucial because we will not solve education or housing or public accommodations as long as millions of Americans, Negroes, are treated as second-class economic citizens and denied jobs. That was Walter Ruther, who was president of a labor union, the United Auto Workers of America. Jobs were a key factor in the 1963 Birmingham campaign. That campaign included the children's marches and Bull Connor's use of fire hoses and dogs on peaceful demonstrators. Most people know the campaign was about desegregation, but Barry McNeely says it was also about employment. McNeely is historical content expert at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. A black person couldn't, for example, work at posits as um, an attendant. Black people were not in city government. And so there were so many doors that were just closed to you. The Birmingham campaign ended with an agreement that required a program for upgrading black employment opportunities. And the campaign played a big role nationally in bringing about Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Title VII protects employees and job applicants from discrimination. But Logan Barrett, a Ph.D. student at Auburn University, whose research focuses on labor and race, says the economic justice aspects of the civil rights movement are often left out of the narrative. If you limit the black freedom struggle story to 1963, you are only telling a story of uh, a victory over segregation and Jim Crow laws and Bull Connor. The black freedom struggle and the labor movement story has been going on well before the 1960s and continued well after up to the present day. This interplay was present in the early years of Birmingham, when the iron and steel industries drew workers from across the rural South and the world. Most men worked 12-hour shifts, seven days a week in the mines or industrial plants. 70 to 80 percent of the industrial workforce was black and could be paid less than white workers. And you add in this cheap labor force aspect, and that creates the way that Birmingham is able to compete very quickly with established cities, cities in the north. That's Ty Malagani. He's the education coordinator at Sloss Furnace's National Historic Landmark. Did it work for the workers? Of course, that's where you start seeing the flip side of things. Black and white workers toiled in harsh conditions without safety equipment or training, Malagani says. This led them to form integrated unions as early as the 1870s. When union workers went on strike, companies fought back using race to splinter the workforce. So the companies are using propaganda in the newspapers to spread this idea that unions want integration everywhere. The tactic succeeded. Black union leadership largely disappeared by the 1910s, Malagani says, and strikes were often broken by non-union crews. Racial division continued to work to the company's advantage through the 1960s. Barry McNeely says employers told black people to be thankful for whatever they got, while telling white people not to ask for too much because black people would work for anything. Then they promoted social segregation, so workers wouldn't see how much they had in common. The result, in addition to racial tension, was that those who were on top maintained control. And 
there's a legacy of that that still exists in this country today. Erica Ihime is familiar with that legacy. She grew up in predominantly black North Birmingham and has worked for labor unions across the country. She's now co-executive director of Jobs to Move America, a policy center that uses grassroots organizing to advocate for what she calls good jobs. Are you safe on your job? Are you respected and valued and treated with integrity on your job? Can you have balance and quality of life at home and work? That's what a good job is. She says today's economy is sprouting working class jobs that don't pass the test. One example she points to is a Birmingham area Amazon warehouse that employees are trying to unionize. Organizers say at least 80 percent of workers at the facility are black. According to a 2021 investigation by Consumer Reports, Amazon opens most of its warehouses in low-income neighborhoods of color. Ihime says that, like Birmingham's early industrialists, many companies locate operations in the South to take advantage of cheap, non-union, often minority workforces. As the United States makes massive investments toward clean energy, Ihime says communities have an opportunity to help define the modern workplace. And we are at the beginning of a brand new economy, a brand new type of work, a brand new type of demand on manufacturing. What sense does it make to put brand new fancy jobs and brand new fancy buildings on top of old Jim Crow culture? She says a brighter future depends on society letting go of racism and on working class people standing up together. Going forward, labor and civil rights movements will continue to be entwined because civil rights extend beyond race. And ultimately, labor rights are civil rights. For WBHM, I'm Olivia McMurray. Amazon said in a statement its facilities generally mean more good jobs for the communities where they're located and that safety is the company's top priority. It added conclusions from the Consumer Reports investigation lack context.